Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the uh, musical romance La La Land starring Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast, but it's likely that you will get more enjoyment out of it if you have. And please be aware that the podcast contains spoilers, so if you haven't seen the film, it'll be spoiled for you if you do carry on. Enjoy. Right, can you hear me now? Yep, I can hear you pretty good. I'm just going to keep eating this Yay! tiny okay. tiny bit of my dinner. Whoop. Oh, what have you what have you got for dinner? Uh chicken tikka masala. Oh, very nice. Yeah. I um made myself a lamb wrap with spiced hummus and some lettuce and stuff in it. Very nice. I felt very very summery with that. Oh, I just realised I made like a really horrible eating, like clicking noise just then. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because I'm a classy gentleman. We we are classy gents. I'm a big boy, <laughs> and we do cry. Yeah, all the time. Uh, how has your week been? It's been all right. Yeah, um, I'm away on holiday for the next couple of weeks, although. It's not actually holiday, uh, because one of those weeks we'll be covering E3 for the site. So oh, we'll cool. be spending a lot of that week, spending a lot of that week sitting around in pyjamas, typing away a storm for the website, basically. Oh, they let you wear your pyjamas to E3 now. <laughs> I wish I was able to actually go. I think we've got a, we've got a couple of people going out there, because we normally do each year. But um, the rest of the editors have to keep keep in charge of the troops and make sure we get everything up okay that's cool so how about you man how's your week been yeah it's not been too bad actually um we were doing wedding stuff sunday monday tuesday yep tuesday we're at the venue going through final timelines and stuff it's all yeah it's all looking really good oh excellent um yeah and then i had to go back to work but you know it's like a three day three day week and it's it's thursday which is podcast recording day but it's yeah, it kind of feels like because we're recording an episode now, like we should be putting it out tomorrow, but we record ahead. So obviously, when you're when you're off um, you're off work, it means that we can yeah we can probably work around that, or we always have one in the can, as I say. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So it means that sometimes some of the the feedback and the chat is maybe an episode or two out, but that's alright. Yeah, so people will be listening to to an episode of this podcast and be saying like why are they not talking about the the martian insect attack that happened <laughs> it's like it's because it's it's because we record in advance we're that dedicated to the big boys don't cry cause yeah also martians go away yeah we don't want you don't to like here yeah go, go back go where back you came to from where you came from <laughs> <laughs> mars oh yeah. remember mars attacks oh that was a great movie you think we could get away with talking about that film? I don't know. We might have to have like a sci-fi month where we talk about things like 
Mars Attacks. Oh yeah, we talked about this. Well, or sort of. Could we talk about our super secret plans for October, or should we just say that there are plans? It's going to be great, and oh, just leave I'll, it at that. I'll leave it up to you. Um, we build up months, months of anticipation. Yeah, before the inevitable sort of reveal. Everyone's yeah, expecting the inevitable f- crushing disappointment. Yeah, so everyone's expecting literal fireworks to fly out of their phone while they're listening to the podcast, and instead it's just something slightly different. Yeah, we've been working closely with Elon Musk on this one. <laughs> oh, but um, well, as you can guess, October is Halloween, so we're thinking of making it kind of a horror-themed month. Obviously, then when we get to December, it's going to be all Christmas films. So, you know. We're just, we're just planning ahead. The big boy's calendar. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Which sure beats the Gregorian calendar. Yeah, that can that can piss off. Rubbish calendar, that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So yeah, that'll be fun. But in the meantime, I don't think there are any major theme ways we can theme things before then. So we're just going to crack on with all of the films that we had on our list. And this episode, we're mm-hmm. going to talk about La La Land. Yes, indeed. And and this is a, a big favourite of yours, isn't it? It is, yeah. So this is the most um, recent film that I think we've we've talked about. Most of the films we talked about have been at least a f- couple of years old, if not more, or 1998 in the case of You've Got Mail. Um, but yeah, La La Land, it's a film that I really, really like a lot. I Yeah, I would say that I, I probably love it. Um, and I should say at this stage that I'm aware that there are lots of things wrong with it. There are lots of things that are problematic about it, and I completely accept those. I don't think that it's any way, in any way a perfect film, probably not deserving of all the Oscars that it won either. But personally, I just really, really love it. Um, so I had seen it before a couple of times, but we watched it together last weekend at your house, and then yeah, we, we immediately had to go. So I immediately, <laughs> um, I didn't get any get any kind of feeling from you about how you how you liked it or anything at all. So. Um, you can lay it on me now, man. What did you think? I was disappointed. I've got to say, um, I'd heard a lot of great things about it, um, about this sort of like interweaving of musical with sort of like a classic musical with more modern leanings and sort of like um, playing with the ideas of Hollywood and stuff like that. And it all fell a little bit short for me, I'm afraid. So I I wasn't that keen on it. There were some moments in it that I really, really enjoyed. But overall, I'm not sure how much I actually liked it. Interesting. Do you think it was kind of overhyped for you then, maybe? And did I perhaps contri- contribute to that? No, no. I think it was I think it was everything else. And um, like I was, I'm always a little bit sceptical about musicals in general it's not the kind of thing that i really always get on board with um there's there's a few exceptions which i absolutely love so like the book of mormon is one of the funniest things i've ever seen i've still not seen that at all i uh, it's it's fantastic i do love les mis in a kind of love hate way yeah les mis is great we are gonna we are gonna have to get around to talking about the film which i've not seen and about i really want to talk about that movie because because i i thoroughly enjoy it um, but yeah, it's, there was just something, something about it which I don't think dug as deep into any of the strands that it tried to sort of discuss well enough to really be successful. Right. Um, so I mean, I don't know whether you want me to have a big old, big old talk, whether you want to choose an angle to to go off. Yeah, onto go it. ahead. Well, the the first thing I want to say is, is it really a musical? I mean, 
when when the, the trailers first came first came out, I saw I saw it and I heard or I heard the first kind of announcements. It was like it's a musical starring Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone of original songs, and I was like, you you've got me sold immediately. I don't care what it's about. Um, you know, I love both of them as actors. I love musicals, so sold on that front. Really, I mean, there are. It's very, very hard, I think, to get an original musical off the ground these days, either in the theatre or in film. Although I think recently musicals like Hamilton and Waitress, um, based on the film that we talked about, and the Book of Mormon have really helped that. But yeah, in in film these days, people aren't really making musicals that much. So I was just so amazed to see that that was even a thing. That that was that I was already excited for it, but I think it had a. It, I think of it more as a feature film with a few big musical numbers and very very good musical themes. Like I don't feel like there was enough musical content to make it a musical, but I think that's because musicals are often really really long and drawn out and have a song about every single little moment, and it wasn't really like that. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, I think that is fair. Um, and the other thing that I, I find that differentiates a musical from a not musical is um, how impactful the individual songs are in it as well. And I came out of La La Land not remembering any of the songs in it whatsoever. Um, I tried to I tried to hum, you know, the he, he plays a very nice piano theme mm-hmm. multiple times throughout it. And I was thoroughly enjoying it throughout the movie. Um, but I actually came out of it trying to hum it and instead humming like some kind of bastardized version of the Godfather tune. <laughs> um, what is it with men and the Godfather? <laughs> what is it with men and the Godfather? Even ones who don't particularly <laughs> love the Godfather. Um, yeah, so I, 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 I tried to think back to a, a song in it that I really felt like got stuck in my head and I just couldn't do it. There was just some, the the music in it all seemed to fit quite well at the time, but I I I can't think of anything off the top of my head right now. I, I don't feel any need to sort of go back and re-listen to any of the songs from it. That's really interesting because that's the thing that people often say about musicals: that if it, if it's a good musical, you'll come out of the theatre or the cinema humming one of the songs. And obviously, you you did not. I don't I tr- don't think that I did at the time either. But I liked it enough to go back and listen to the album on Spotify and it's now become part of my regular rotation. So for me as well, watching it when you've been listening to the soundtrack over and over and then hearing the songs in their context when you know them really well and you're not experiencing them for the first time, you're able to pay that bit more attention. So for me, it was actually a very it was a very deep and cathartic experience watching it the second time on DVD once I I was really, really into the music. But the music really, really grabbed me. And that's funny because I'm not really a jazz fan. But the music wasn't really jazz, was it? Even though he was ostensibly a jazz a jazz nerd. Yeah, guy. there wasn't very much jazz music in it. I, I think the one thing that I really took out of out of the music of, of La La Land is that they should make a musical out of The Godfather <laughs> and, and, and like properly uh, make it nice and positive, lose all the minor key stuff. And you can just imagine a bunch of gangsters walking out at the beginning and a spotlight comes down and they're all clicking their fingers and it comes up with this wonderful orchestral score just going... Put a horse ahead on your bed... That's all I know about The Godfather. And I you know came about to that. me on the day of my daughter's wedding. 
I only know about that because of a, it's in this like a Simpsons episode where he <laughs> yeah, gets yeah. a job as a restaurant critic. So my friend put a horse ahead on his bed. He ate it ahead and gave it a better review. <laughs> it's actually um, parodied earlier on in The Simpsons as well, where um, they buy Lisa a pony and she wakes up and there's the horse head next to her, but actually it's her pony that's alive and then she gets up and starts riding it around. Um, but that's oh, yeah, sort of like yeah. an, almost, an almost shot for shot um, retelling of that scene. That's great. That also reminds me... <laughs> Um, every time I think of a pony now, I'm reminded of this Seinfeld episode. Have you seen much of Seinfeld? I've watched the odd bit here and there, but I never got... Tr- I think I, I sort of was watching it too late. So everything that had been sort of like created through Seinfeld being so integral to sort of like the comedy scene had kind of aped it too much already. So it never had the right impact for me. But I've seen it. I've seen a few bits here and there. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I never saw it when it was first on. I don't think it was shown in the UK that much and have come to it recently through trying to understand its influence on other comedies and sitcoms. But it really is fantastic. Like I would recommend just when you've got a free day and you're not really doing much, just stick a bunch on and just power through because it takes a while to get into it and to get into the characters and through the seasons it really, really develops. But there's a really, really good episode when um, he goes to like his girlfriend's family dinner and they're, they're somehow talking about ponies and um, <laughs> um, and about how, you know, rich people have ponies. And he's like, you know what? I hate anyone who ever had a pony when they were a child. And then the, like, immigrant Polish grandmother goes, I had a pony. <laughs> and, like, everyone back in Poland had ponies. And then, yeah, he has to eat his words. But that's what it's so great. It's all about those kind of little moments. It's always They always say that it's a show about nothing. And that is so true, actually but it's the opposite of boring. It's just it's just great. I like a good show about nothing. Yeah, me too. When 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 something does pick up on those inconsequential moments and and runs with it and that's what yeah, and that's what you remember from it. I think that's always the best a, a good sign of a good show, I think. Yeah. I'll put that that pony clip in the show notes. So, um yeah, so La La Land, it's sort of a musical, but sort of not. But we can sort of lump it in with other musicals in a way, I think. it's Yeah, there's no need to get bogged down in distinctions. But I do think that you might be yeah, you might be disappointed if you try and assess it on the same level as a musical like, say, Hamilton or The Book of Mormon or something. Yeah, definitely. So so then within this, within this pseudo-musical, um, there's two real stories and two real sort of like overarching themes that kind of play into one another so on one side you've got ryan gosling who is mr jazz um the gatekeeper of the sanctity of jazz on one side and then you've got emma stone who is um playing out the role of the struggling actress trying to make it big in the movie industry um, and trying to make it big in acting in general, so she tries her hand at different things throughout the throughout the run of the film. Um, and I have kind of issues with both sides of the story of La La Land, um, and I don't want to be that guy, but at the same time, I feel it would be remiss of me not to mention that the person who's trying to be the saviour of jazz and who's trying to make sure that jazz doesn't lose its roots is a very, very white guy. Yeah, no, that is absolutely the the worst thing about the film, and it is a major problem, especially as then the only 
the the one major black character um john legend is his friend and then they get together in this band john legend's the front man they're paying him loads of money so he's no longer struggling and yeah john legend is like he's he says that he's doing like jazz fusion but he's essentially making electronic pop and the implication is that he's selling out whilst whilst the white guy is staying true to the jazz roots and yeah that is definitely a real real problem and a lot of people have commented on that um already so yeah that's that's definitely a huge problem and when they go to the jazz clubs all of the other pe- all the other jazz musicians are black uh, but it's like why yeah why should he get to be the the savior of jazz so yeah i don't enjoy that side of the film but i like the music and the romance and stuff so it still works for me but yeah i i do acknowledge that that is that is a serious problem and that yeah you shouldn't take it as being that that like he's the savior of jazz or anything it's just the thing that he likes and and what i find interesting about it as well is sort of like John John Legends. There's no real villains in this movie, but if there was someone who's sort of like the antagonist, it is kind of John Legend in the film. Um, but is what he's doing so incredibly wrong by introducing jazz music to a new audience through putting a, a fresh face on it, as it were? Um, so he's seen as this person who's kind of like betraying the soul of jazz by putting like synthesizers into it and stuff like that but you see the crowds that come to his shows are loving it and they're very very big and there's still lots of very jazz elements in the music and like it's kind of it's not really aping what john legend does with his music in general but he he is a as an artist in real life um has kind of made these steps with soul music and with a bit of jazz and stuff like that and kind of made it incredibly popular with people who wouldn't necessarily try these traditional genres before and it has led to a revival off the back of that so kind of i have a bit of an issue with him being seen as the bad guy whereas in fact like he's going about saving jazz in a different way to ryan gosling um and it's two ways in which they could coexist. Yeah, well, that's that's what I think is really interesting about it is that a lot of people have taken it as that he's being painted as a real villain, but he's not really. It's more that his vision doesn't align with Ryan Gosling's character's vision, and then they kind of go their separate ways. There's there's no kind of huge breakup or anything. He's still he's still in that band as far as the story goes when it gets to the point when he goes back to her house to get her to come to this audition. And then you assume in the, the intervening period, the, that's it ends and then it's five years later and he's got his own jazz club finally. You assume, or I assume, that he stayed in that band long enough to make enough money to buy his own club and then he quit. And then it might have been amicable. I mean, obviously that's assuming a lot. But also um, there's the conversation that they have after the first rehearsal, which I think is a really good scene that man- that does nuance this a little bit, I think where um, it's just um, John Legend and Ryan Gosling talking there. And it's just John Legend talking at him. And he says, you know, the other guy wasn't as good as you. But you are pain in the ass, man. And I love the way that he says that and looks at him. And Ryan Gosling just kind of looks a bit sheepish. And he says, you know, how are you going, going to be a revolutionary if you're such a traditionalist? And Ryan Gosling doesn't reply. And that remind throughout the rest of the film, I felt that line really hung over it. And that Ryan Gosling had no response to that really and that you know at the end of the day yes he gets his own club but that's a small club that seats probably 50 people 
maybe. It's a really, really tiny room. So really, you know that in the back of your mind, John Legend is touring the world and playing to millions of people. So there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. It just doesn't fit in with Ryan Gosling's vision, I think. So it's I don't think it's as bad as it's made out to be. But I do accept that there's definitely an implicit racism in the white character being the, the saviour and the black character being the sellout. Yeah, I think the sort of um, the sort of uh, villainous role of John Legend. I don't mean it in a in a sort of um, Billy Zane in Titanic kind of way, um, but it's just that his ideals completely misalign with everybody else who's seen as a protagonist in the film. Um, so he's he's almost on the side of um, of the restaurant owner um, who fires. Ryan Gosling for not sticking to the set list. He is someone who knows how the industry works and knows how music works in ways that aren't necessarily igniting passion in people deep down um, and is willing to 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 use and utilise music in that way. And and just the way that he's kind of is seen as this sort of friction, it does kind of build him as a slightly negative character in my mind. But I, I think it I think you're right that it has enough nuance there that it kind of it asks the question instead of just putting them on opposite sides. Um, yeah, definitely. And I, I, I wonder with the with the white lead in this film. Um, I know that Ryan Gosling's been keen was keen to take part in this film very much so, um, but I wonder how far down the line the decision was made that it was going to be a white lead because it is the kind of thing that you imagine would be sort of like a producer led decision or an or a writer-led decision yeah my understanding is that the most of the casting decisions were led by Damien Chazelle who is the writer of the film Um, and he sort of co-wrote some of the music with Justin Hurwitz and he's a jazz drummer his previous film was Whiplash have you seen that I actually haven't seen that Um, and I really really want to see it because I think I really like his work but yeah, apparently he was writing La La Land before he wrote Whiplash, and he, it's like his magnum opus. He's been working on it forever and was searching for years and years to try and find someone for this role and eventually landed on Ryan Gosling. So yeah, I would love to know if he considered any black actors, for sure. But apparently, um, before they got Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone, they wanted it to be Miles Teller and Emma Watson. Can you imagine that? I I, I can't imagine even though Emma Watson's been in Beauty and the Beast, I can't imagine her ever being in another film where she sings ever again. Yeah. Um, Did you see Beauty yeah. and the Beast? No. Um, Katie is a huge fan of the original um, and do- is not a fan of Emma Watson in the slightest. And I am not a fan of Emma Watson as an actress either. Um, so between us, we didn't really have any intention of going to the cinema to go and see it. Oh, well, actually, I, I would say that you should go and see it because Claire hates Emma Watson as well, but she sort of was okay with it. She would not would not praise her at all, but she was sort of okay with it. But the guy who plays Gaston, um, I think it's Luke Evans. Oh, Luke Evans, He yeah. absolutely steals the show. He is incredible. <laughs> it's like been one of my favourite film performances this year, without a doubt. He's it's, it's just really, really brilliant, and it does really do justice to the cartoon. A lot of it is kind of shot-for-shot shot remake, and the bits that they've added don't feel stupid. And yeah, all of the cast do a really, really good job. It's, yeah, I highly recommend that. Maybe we can talk about yeah, that sometime. I don't know if you've seen any other, I don't know if you've seen any other movies with Luke Evans in, but he generally does just steal the show whenever he's in it. Yeah. Um, he's in, um, 
He's in the movie adaptation of High Rise, the J.G. Ballard oh, right. uh, novel. And that's that's great. It, it is in no way suitable to be talked about on this podcast. Yeah. Ultra-violent, highly artistic, unromantic uh, art film. But um, yeah, he's phenomenal in that. Um, and yeah, he's, he's, he's always great, Luke Evans. The Girl on the Train? Oh, right. Yeah. Well, no, I've not seen that yet. That's um, it's a very good thriller. I haven't read the book, but um, the film is very, very enjoyable. And he, he plays a guy who is accused of the, the murder, but does not do it. He, he's also in, in a movie called Dracula Untold, which is supposed to be a, a prequel to Dracula, the origins of Dracula, and shows him oh, as a very, before very... he was undead. Yes, and shows him as a very, very nice man, basically. Um, and it's, it's incredibly silly. And absolutely hilarious. Oh, Gentleman Dracula. Yes. <laughs> it's a friend, it's friendly Dracula. The the friendliest Dracula before Count Chocula. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he's a, he's a great actor. They should have given him a part in La La Land. He would have been good. He he could have been... Um, he, he should have been... Um, I don't know, actually. He could have been another member of John Legend's band. He could have been John Legend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That would have been good. That would have uh, he would have he would have done that with a definite villainy, even in the tur- the turtleneck jumper. He would have grown a a classic villain mustache and twirled it all the time when yeah, he's definitely. on screen and been like, "Ha oh, ha ha! I'm going to destroy jazz." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they should they should make a film where someone sets out to destroy jazz. I think that, isn't that the story of your life, Paddy? <laughs> Destroy jazz well, it and was cajons. until I um until I saw La La Land and I like <laughs> jazz now. Um, but yeah, since watching it, I have been trying harder to get into jazz. But it's been it's not been easy. I still fi- don't find a lot of it easy to listen to because I'm a real melody guy. For some some people, the the form and as as Ryan Gosling's character says in the film, the the compromise and the clash and the whatever of it is more important than the melody. And for me, it's not. But some of the more melodic stuff, I've been trying to listen to it while I'm having my coffee in the morning or and in the bath, and I'm I'm sort of coming around to it, I think. So yeah, jazz, jazz is one of those things where um, I never actively listen to it on my own. Um, it's always I I quite like the intensity of jazz. So if I'm doing a full day of working for the website, for instance, I quite like putting some jazz on and sort of powering through yeah. for a bit. Um, equally, I I do like live jazz, so going to live blues and jazz bars is always one of the things I I really enjoy. Um, but I've never been one of those people that's like, oh, this amazing jazz artist has just released a new CD. I've got to go and listen to it immediately. Um, that's never been my kind of deal. Yeah. Um, but but in 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 but in La La Land, they have this real intense jazz lover in Ryan Gosling, and I think he is great in this film. I, I'm not a huge fan of La La Land overall, but he was the real shining star of it for me. Um, and it sort of utilised all of Ryan Gosling's best skills as an actor as well. So you brought up that scene where he is, um, he's being talked at by John Legend and and Gosling sort of acting is primarily sort of like passive. And that's always something that Ryan Gosling's been great at is silent acting. Um, so I don't know if you've ever seen Drive, for instance. Yeah. where Where he has like hardly any lines of dialogue throughout the entire movie but it's just absolutely captivating um and then he's great at the the moments of quiet and then immediate intensity and you get that 
that you get that perfectly in La La Land, um, where he'll sort of like suddenly explode on screen, and it's all always very captivating. Um, so like the scene where where um, Emma Stone's like, "Oh, I don't want to go back to this to do this audition. I've done so many auditions," and Ryan Gosling's just like, "You're a baby. Stop being a baby." <laughs> and it just kind of comes out of nowhere, yeah. and it's really sort of like, "Oh wow, yeah, go you go, Ryan." Yeah, no, I really, really like that. Yeah, and like I said, the intensity is the right word. I think he just has kind of an intense face, doesn't he? But in a good way. He does, yeah. He's handsome. Yeah, definitely. Um, he's going to be in the new Blade Runner movie. Oh, yeah. Which is out this year. Is he playing the titular Blade Runner? He he is um, the runner of the blades. Well, it it looks like he is a Blade Runner, so it looks like he's someone who's out investigating whatever, so he's like the private eye type. Um, but it's directed by Denis Villeneuve, who I don't know if you've seen any of his films. Don't know if I have. What's he done? Um, so he did Arrival most recently. Um, oh, that looks and, good. I've been wanting yeah, to see it's, that. It's very good. It's the best sci-fi movie about linguistics I've ever seen in my life. Cool. Um, <laughs> it's it's really it's really something else. Um, and the sort of like hard science fiction film that you don't get very often with such a big budget, but it's done perfectly. Um, then he did a movie called Prisoners, which came out a couple of years ago, um, which um, is about someone's uh, Hugh Jackman's daughter gets kidnapped by someone, and he has a he has someone in mind who he thinks has kidnapped his daughter. So it's all about him trying to go on this vigilante justice spree to try and find his daughter versus Jake Gyllenhaal, who is. Um, uh, a cop following procedure trying to find out what happened and it's all about the conflict between the two of them and it's a that's a really very w- fantastically paced crime movie um so now now he's got blade runner coming out and then the project he's on after that is a remake of dune which i don't know if you remember oh, right. watching okay. the david lynch dune with me a few years ago um, i do yeah that is that is burned onto my brain great film mostly the image of sting Sting in a metal codpiece. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and uh, a man milking a cat for poison, which is not in the book at all. And so David Lynch just randomly decided to throw into the film. Um, and yeah, so he's he's remaking Dune, which I'm super keen about as well, because he's a fantastic, fantastic director. Um, but yeah, so Ryan Gosling is going to be in that. And again, I think it's going to be one of those movies where it's like he's going to be all calm and quiet and then occasionally he's going to go mental at people and i could i could watch ryan gosling do that all day every day um but yeah he's he's great in this and he's a good pianist yeah he's great a lot of people have talked at length about how he like couldn't play piano before and he learned it in three months i think in time for the film which i think i mean anyone could learn piano in three months if you were doing nothing else and i'm sure when you're an actor you get paid and that's your job and that's what you do but yeah it's still pretty amazing and he still did it all himself and it's not just basic piano stuff either i know because i've got the sheet music book and i've been learning how to play some of the stuff and like there's some you know the really really fast stuff it really takes a lot and in that scene um the first scene where it's him doing the song on his own in the christmas the Christmas jazz restaurant club with um, J.K. Simmons as the angry, angry villain. In fact, I think he's the real villain, even though he's only in that in that in the film for like two minutes. He's the most villainous character, the guy who fires him. Um, but yeah, his piano playing in that is really, really outstanding. And the 
the camera, I think the cinematography there is really amazing because the camera just kind of zooms out really, really slowly and everything else fades out. The fading in and out in that scene is is really, is incredible actually. And then you end up just kind of looking at his, looking at his fingers for a bit and it doesn't go on too long either. Um, it doesn't get to the point where it feels masturbatory because it it flows really well from the rest of the song, I think, anyway. So I love it when, yeah, when he finally hits that last note and then he stands up and then he gets fired. Uh, I think in general the direction of La La Land is really good. Um, from a purely artistic standpoint, the entire finale of the film where they go through the whole sort of musical number was breathtaking to watch. So like from from sort of like the directorial side, it is a really good movie. If If you just want to see something and enjoy how well a film can be put together, then La La Land is a movie for you because it is, you know beautiful i think is the best word to describe it um yeah no i i completely agree with that i think it's it's really amazing to look at and yeah if you i think you probably will not enjoy it if you hate musicals hate jazz don't like kind of singing and dancing and if you're if you're a bit of a cynic you probably won't like it either would you say that's fair yeah um and i think that's part of the problem is that i am a little bit of a cynic um, and that might have that might have impacted. I, I wasn't implying that about you, um, but it, but it is true. Um, the, the, it's the other the other side of the story, and um, with Emma Stone is where this really comes to a head. And so both of the sides of the film are kind of about keeping integrity in the face of difficulties. Um, so on one side, you've got Ryan Gosling, who is you know jazz must. We need to keep jazz. We need to keep jazz pure. You know, we don't want those Martians coming over here and taking our jazz, that kind of thing. Um, and then on the other side, you've got Emma Stone, who is struggling as an as an actress. She's finding it hard to get roles. And so she's working her part-time job on the side to keep herself afloat. Um, and I have seen probably too many movies and read too many books about the difficulties of making it in Hollywood to say that La La Land, La La Land's retelling of this story is particularly impactful. Um, so Emma Stone, she is failing at her auditions, yet she still has a very, very nice room in a shared house with other actresses, I noticed. She has a lovely, a lovely spacious room. She's still able to go to all of these industry parties all the time. Um, and it was in stark contrast to some films that kind of do this struggle and the lengths people are willing to go to a little bit better. Um, so one film that I was thinking of a lot whilst we were watching La La Land is a horror movie called Starry Eyed, um, which is a, a fantastic movie. If any of our listeners are into horror movies, go and check it out because it's it goes in directions you're not expecting. Um, and and that is about a a struggling actress who is desperately trying to make it as a movie star. Um, she gets given an audition for a very established old production studio for a new movie they're making. Um, and whilst at the um, whilst at her audition, she's doing very well. Um, they try to make her perform sexual acts to try and get the role, which which is a problem in Hollywood and has always been seen as a problem in Hollywood. Um, yeah. She refuses, but then she sort of feels like she might regret it and goes back. And when she goes back again they don't ask her for a sexual 
act to get the role and instead they they ask her for something very different um and i'm not going to tell you any more than that but basically think uh. it, it 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 goes in some very interesting directions it's all about sort of like the length someone will go to to become famous and what fame does to a person and how it changes a person all very lovely and allegorical is it's a great film and like yeah so in the back of my mind i was thinking about that and thinking like oh wow that like story i'd really sort of hit home for me about that kind of tale and it really made it quite unnerving like how difficult it is to make it in the creative industries um there's also a movie by drive director nicholas winding refn um called the neon demon which is all about um, models trying to make it in the fashion industry which follows a kind of similar ilk where someone turns up in in la and is like right i'm going to become a model now and then it's all yeah it's it's not a great film but it tells that kind of story in an artistic way again and i felt like for la la land to really tell that story well it needed to make the struggles greater and i don't necessarily mean that in a nasty way but yeah. you never really feel as though emma stone's life is being really put at a strain by her failing at these auditions she kind of seems to be in a sort of default position that a lot of us would generally be quite happy with which is i work a job it's all right i go to fun parties i meet handsome pianist man and i have not met enough handsome pianists in my lifetime you know it's something that everyone <laughs> deserves to 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 go through um and so it didn't you didn't really get that sort of struggle and success um to the extent that i was hoping you would it kind of felt like it started off in a in a not ideal but comfortable place and although at the end it reached spectacular heights for her you never really got a sense of how that rise impacted on her life so much because it kind of it did this sort of skipping of is it five years it skipped five years yep yeah and like it's in those five years that it would be quite interesting to see how she changed the person and how she developed in the kind of role she took and how it distanced her from other people around her and things like that and you kind of just kind of glossed over it and just saw the end result and i would have been quite interested in seeing more of it in those five years and seeing that drift happen yeah definitely and i think the the her sort of then rise to stardom stardom and the, all the life changes that actually for me did feel a little bit improbable i mean i know you're talking about a film where people literally dance into the stars inside the planetarium so you know it's got to be taken with a pinch of salt because it's an entertainment um, I think the the reason that it gets away with a lot of improbabilities is because it's so unabashedly just trying to entertain you. You know, it's not trying to do um, the grit of the struggles in the creative industries that you're describing. I think it it's it's um, it willfully glosses over all of those in favour of just having a few dance numbers. But there is still struggle, and you're right that it yeah that that it could have probably done more. I think to try and make those struggles feel real. Like, she didn't have to be driving a Toyota Prius for a cheap joke about a Toyota Prius, which apparently, like, a lot of a lot of people seem to have a real problem with. Um, but, yeah, both both of their rises to success felt improbable for me when you looked at their situation. So, firstly, Ryan Gosling lucks out into a $1,000 a week gig with John Legend just because he happened to know him before. And, you know, we play in bands together and stuff. I don't know what, what the scene is like. And there, but if if someone is big enough that they can command that kind of money, 
um, and Ryan Gosling is struggling that much, those that gulf isn't as easily widened in in my experience. But maybe I'm cynical about that. And then suddenly, yeah, Emma Stone just ha- just like gets this one audition off the back of her play that went that didn't go well. That part felt a bit improbable to me as well. Like, why would that director have been at her play? Um, and that kind of thing so yeah that this kind of thing in no way sours it for me but it is kind of at the back of my mind especially actually on repeat watchings because the first time in the story in the cinema and seeing it in the cinema I think had a really big effect on it in terms of you know space and place and it being about films and about Hollywood in that kind of meta way that seeing it in the cinema I think made it resonate the first time the first time seeing it in the cinema was ideal and then you start to sort of subconsciously pick it apart a little bit more but yeah there are a lot of improbabilities in it and a lot of things that yeah weren't really done to really done in the right way and a lot of people have said that the way it portrays LA as well is very unrealistic it doesn't represent the the diversity of LA as well that kind of thing it's just a yeah a very select version of bits of it yeah and and I think that would be fine um and I think sort of like if you want to show that idealized version um, that's also perfectly valid, but I think it kind of it didn't go far enough in any direction to really push it home. So the my favourite parts of the film were the ones where the sort of artistic side really took over. So the final the final act of the movie where it all goes completely off the wall, and it's like Ryan Gosling's on a fever dream sequence. It's great. It's wonderful. And then sort of like those moments in between. Um, where it feels like a very different movie to the other parts. So at times it has this very sort of like, not traditional, but you know what I mean? That kind of, this is a romantic movie about two people in LA who are both creative, who are falling for each other. Um, And at other times it was like, hey, look at what we can do with all of the cool lighting and everything like that in this particular scene. And I, I kind of wish there was more of that side where you could get lost without thinking about the realities of their situation. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a few date montages and such, but when you um, when you get to summer, because it has, uses the seasons as a framing device, so winter, they're apart, spring, they start getting together, summer, that's when their relationship kind of is at its peak. Um, and yeah, there's there's a few little date montages and things, but yeah, the the romance between the two of them, yeah, you don't actually get that much of it. It's more courtship i suppose and it's a strange courtship because it's tied up in his jazz and and her profession and them trying to to work out their dreams and that's the i think i guess that's the overall point of it um it seems to say that if you've got dreams that big that it's not compatible with having a proper having a romantic relationship or making that work which obviously i don't think is true at all i think it just says that that doesn't necessarily work for everyone or every relationship but yeah I felt like it the the overwhelming bit of the the kind of the very cheesy thrust of it being about dreams and about dreamers and this one's for the fools who dream which I love and that does totally suck me in and that that's 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 like that's the <laughs> thing that I love about it the most because you know I'm I'm a cheap whore for <laughs> things that are about dreams <laughs> but um because I got big dreams too, man. But um, I kind of remember where I was going with that. Oh, yeah, the dreams overwhelm the romance so such that perhaps you want a little bit more of the romance. Yeah, it, it's a problem where um, it's a very all-or-nothing romance for the two of them. 
Um, so when, when, for instance, she's unhappy that Ryan Gosling is going to be going off on tour again and so she's hardly going to see him, um, the one thing that sprung to mind for me was, hey, you're an acclaimed pianist and a, and a keyboardist in this really big band. Why don't you offer up your services as a session musician given that you're in L.A.? Yeah. Like at that you point... You would never have to leave L.A. and you would get so much work. Yeah. Yeah. And I was thinking, there, there is no need for you to 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 leave and go off on tour again you you could quite easily make a comfortable living you've proven yourself as a very very competent keyboardist almost stealing the show from john legend at at the gigs you're playing you know people are going to want to work with you um and yeah i felt like you never really got that sense of you like you get these great frisson of um of sort of like the relationship blossoming at the beginning and it does work very well and they've got very good chemistry where it's like oh yeah you can see that these two are going to get together and it all feels very natural in a in a good way um but then you never get that real establishment that they're they're a super close relationship which kind of forces it to be a bit disconnecting when they're like oh i don't know how i could live apart from you because you never really you get those montages but it never really hammers home these two people deserve to be together yeah, that's a really good point, actually. You don't stop... I didn't stop to think whether they deserved to be together. Uh, maybe, But maybe that is the point as well. Maybe it's trying to say that they don't deserve to be together because they're both kind of selfish and self-absorbed in their own ways. And it's their egos that kind of get in the way of it in the end. Yeah, they both they've both got the dreams that they want to achieve and the means by which they go about those... achieving those ideals don't gel with each other's sort of roots to success yeah that's I'd, I'd say that's fair so yeah there's there's bits of it that are really improbable parts of it that there are sort of disconnects there but um for me i think because the the aesthetic is so good and the pace is nice i like the framing of the seasons i like their performances so much and the music um it is really melodically good while still incorporating elements of jazz and it's kind of has enough of the nostalgic hollywood stuff that for me doesn't feel misplaced where i know i know that for some people it does because i'm not like a huge old hollywood nut i mean i've seen rebel without a cause maybe like years ago but um all of that stuff for me doesn't really matter because it's just a really really good entertainment and i i try yeah and it's the cheesiness of the it being all about dreaming just really yeah i'm a sucker for that stuff i know so, oh, there's nothing. So wrong that's with that. that's why I really like it, even though yeah, I'm aware of all the the things that are that are problematic under the surface. But yeah, I like it a lot. Yeah, for for me, I wanted either double cheese or less cheese. <laughs> uh, I wanted either a, a cheese-free pizza or super cheesy pizza. And unfortunately, for me, it kind of fell in between the lines where it was kind of like. It was the kind of pizza where you really want a pizza, but you know you've got one at home, so you can't justify getting a delivery pizza in. Yeah. So you're like, this is this is a yeah, this is a satisfactory pizza, but I could really could have gone for a Domino's right now, and that's kind of where it sits for me. It's it's a home cooked pizza of a movie. Yeah. <laughs> a home cooked, all singing, all dancing, well lit pizza. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a very it's a co op home pizza. 
you know it's yeah. it's a very well and, put together pizza yeah i mean the co-op to be fair the co-op's own like oven pizzas are way better than most of the supermarket pizzas better than anything from tesco or sainsbury's yeah definitely so it's been it's a very well put together home pizza but it's still not gonna for me it didn't deliver the satisfaction of getting a takeaway yeah whereas for me i'll i'll eat anything that has pepper G peppers on it this had the pepper G peppers on it so <laughs> i'm down Number one best pizza ingredient. <laughs> Let's see. I'm uh, sure I had something else to say. Oh, yeah. Just to mention that um, J.K. Simmons in the villain villainous role, when it gets around to the end of the film and they're kind of reliving their relationship as it could have been through the big dance epilogue, which is big and bombastic and wonderful. He looks like he's not going to let them through and then he smiles and clicks his fingers along with the music. That's like the number one moment for me. That is so good. Yeah, I I laughed very loud at that. Um, it, yeah, it went down well with me. That's yeah, it was great. Oh, and I wanted to talk about the um the bit when they're doing the photo shoot, and like why why is it that <laughs> like the creepy photographers in films are always like horrible British guys? It's it's what our calling is, Paddy. In about in about <laughs> twenty years' time, a van's going to turn up outside our doors and is going to say, "Right, we need you to." to become creepy photographers over in LA and take photographs of people in bands. And it's just what happens to British people when they reach that age. Every every British person... Hey, I'd do it. Between the ages where they are slightly too old to be the supporting dad in a sitcom and slightly too young to be the old grumpy person in a comedy show, all British people get... This is something American audiences might not know, by the way, is we all get taken out to different places and have to be creepy photographers um so so when (laughs) yeah it just happens so so whether it's someone you see in a movie taking creepy photos whether it's that awkward guy who's traveling on their own when you're on holiday somewhere taking photos of pigeons um that is part of british culture the government makes us do that and you should not stand in the way of it because it's a rite of passage you're only going to make it worse if you stand in the way I mean, you, you have to go through the, the creepy photographer phase before you can earn your rightful place as a talking head on grumpy old men. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, there's that, that scene with the photographer is really, really great, though. And these kind of, it, it, it illustrates well the kind of the disconnect between him and the, the music industry. And that, I think, perhaps is the most villainous music industry moment. But it's kind of because it's such comic villainy. You don't buy it as villainy. It's just funny. But yeah, the photographer's like getting him to wear it. He's wearing a baseball cap and shades and like a tie with a keyboard on it. And he looks really tacky. And he, the photographer's going, go on, bite your lip, bite your lip, like this, bite your lip. And Ryan Gosling's just like looking at him <laughs> and doing his intense face like you think that he's about to explode. But he doesn't. He keeps it in. And that's, yeah, that makes that a good scene. Uh, I, I, um, I keep thinking that I should... I think I should probably wear that outfit on stage the next time we play Paddy, complete with the with the lip biting angry face, definitely, and just stare down the audience whilst I do it. Absolutely, yeah. Um, the the one thing about that scene though is like they're they're doing this um, they're doing this photo shoot right, and it has to be at night time. Yet when he gets there, all of the photos are being taken inside a bloody venue. Yeah. It's like why? Why could that not have happened at like three o'clock in the afternoon? Why did it have to clash with this show? It's just ah, so yeah. that she could go home and be a baby. Yeah, just, stop being a baby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I might make a gift for that where he's going. You're a baby. 
<laughs> I think, yeah. Aside from the end of the film, the whole brilliant final sequence, I think that is the one bit that's going to stick in my head. And I am going to be saying, you're a baby to people <laughs> whenever whenever I feel the need and hope that they get the reference. Yeah, for sure. I also um, have to say that because of Ryan Gosling in that film, I bought a pair of jazz shoes. So, you know, like the ones that are kind of black and white. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm going to wear them to Catherine's wedding. So you'll get to see them then. Oh, amazing. I um I think I should wear um, Emma Stone's dress then, from that scene, to the wedding, and, and we can <laughs> yeah. have a yeah, and we the can have a little, a little dance number where I stand on a bench, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you did you agree that their dancing and singing in that scene was a bit rubbish? I mean, I think it was supposed to be, but a lot of people have said that they had a real problem with the fact that the singing and dancing wasn't slick. Bits of his vocal are kind of out of tune. Hers is a bit scrappy. Their dancing is it's not slick. I think this is the thing that my mum said. She said she hated how unslick it was. I had a problem with the songs in general because aside from, I think, two exceptions, everything was pre-recorded and then mimed too. And maybe I've just been spoilt by Les Mis where everything was sang live, um, but I feel like that set a new precedent for big-budget musicals where it all felt... With with an old school musical, you could get away with it being dubbed over. And I can understand why you have to do it when you've got these big dance numbers and everything like that. But it all felt very, very fake. And it all felt very um, sloppy, if you know what I mean. Um, it didn't feel... There was a real clash between the rawness of the other scenes and then the auto-dub of the dance numbers. And I think it really showed where you've got that scene where Emma Stone is doing her solo number... And I think that was one of the two numbers in the film which was sang live. It was, yeah. And it felt great. It felt amazing. And it's like, why couldn't you do that for, for the rest of it? Like, Les Mis has shown it can be done. It, I, and I feel like that, that's, a, that's one of the flaws of the direction and the, uh, and the choices made when creating the movie is it would have been great if everything had been, if there had been that parity between all of the musical numbers. That's really interesting, because obviously I haven't seen Les Mis, so for me, and I haven't been spoiled by um, lots of films where there are lots of, that where it's been done really well. I don't, I can't think of a film where I've seen it done as well as you say it's been done in Les Mis, so we've definitely got to bump it up the, um, up the to watch list. Going to see Russell Crowe and his bellowing, yeah. <laughs> Russell Crowe is the, is the primary reason to watch Les Mis. Like whatever you think, whether you hate him or love him, he is something to behold in that movie. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just one of those things that I think kind of grated on me because it just, yeah, it, it felt a bit fake and it felt a bit like a bit of a problem, um, particularly when in certain scenes it was shown that it could work so well, even within La La Land. And yeah, so it would have been great to see it feel more clear and more clean that way even if there were more flaws in terms of people missing their missing their notes and things like that but that happens in that happens in Les Mis as well um they're all flawed performances but it just ties the whole movie up that much better hmm interesting maybe yeah when i when i rewatch la la land i'll probably notice these things now but i didn't notice as much as just seeing that spotting that oh a few of the vocals are off oh, that's a bit off i didn't really look at the um the sinking of it it didn't make it didn't i think i was willfully ignoring it because i was enjoying the enjoying the dancing but and again the the sort of scrappiness of the dancing um mar- married up with their kind of big dreams 
kind of yeah i enjoyed that i like scrappy scrappy things who scrappy people who dream big paddy's paddy's favorite cartoon character is scrappy do it's worth pointing out everyone loves scrappy do and by everyone i mean no one (laughs) 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 yeah this this whole movie this whole movie could be summed up by by ryan gosling is scrappy do going let me at him let me at him and what he's trying to get at is is the bar scene in LA. Yeah. It's jazz. <laughs> cool. So how many out of 20? How many pies are you giving it out of 20? Oh, um, I'm going to give it... Oh, I don't know. Don't hate me, but I think I'm going to have to go as low as 12 subpoenas for entering a restricted area and drugging the guards to get in so that you can have a romantic scene looking at the planetarium out of 20. Yeah, there's definite breaking and entering unseen. And they also like steal the sign from the the club door as well like when they're walking past they commit some vandalism. So that's yeah, that's not cool. Yeah, I'll give it 12 um law-breaking artistic dreamers out of 20, I think. Cool. No, I was worried you were going to go into single figures. That might have been like... No, no, no. I, there, there's parts of this film that I very much enjoyed and parts that I didn't, which is what made it such an interesting film to watch, I think. Um, was sort of picking it picking it apart. Like a, like the carcass of a chicken. <laughs> a delicious chicken. A co-op chicken. <laughs> yeah, a co-op chicken on a pizza. Um, so so how, many, how, many, how many law-breaking artistic dreamers out of 20 would you give it? I'll, I'll give it an eighteen. I couldn't. I really, really love it, but I couldn't. Couldn't get it to the final two because there are problems and uh, things you've highlighted are things that are on my mind about it. But I still enjoy it unabashedly. So yeah, eighteen. Alrighty. Cool. So it's your choice next. It is, and mm, I've got a few options in my head about what to watch. Um, so. Would you like to continue rolling with the musical theme or would you like to continue rolling with the Emma Stone theme? Ooh, that that's genuinely a very, very tough choice. Two, two things that I like very much. Um, let's go Emma Stone, just so we're not talking about two musical films in a row. Try and, try and spread it out a bit. Alrighty, in that case, in that case, the next movie we'll be watching is Easy A. Nice, I've never seen it. Oh, have you not? It's great. Well, we'll, yeah. Well, you can make up your own mind. You might hate it, but I think it's fantastic. I will make up my own mind. But if she if she's in it, it'll probably be good. Although I do remember seeing the posters and thinking it looked really dumb and that she was dumbing herself down for it. So maybe maybe I'm going to be pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I th- I think you might be. I think it's a very it's it's got some very funny moments and uh, some very sweet ones as well. Cool. I look forward to that. Do we have a sensations update? Have you have you done anything, or have you just since you made the artwork? Are you just resting on your laurels? So yeah, I've um, I haven't given much thought to sensations since. Um, by the time this episode comes out, the the poster for sensations should be with you, dear listeners, and I think it's going to blow your mind when you see it. Um, I yeah, I think it's the best thing I've ever used with Photoshop. I've ever I've it's the best thing I've ever done by using my Photoshop skills. 
I think it's just the best thing you've ever done, period. Um, and yeah, I think it's really going to help push the point that Sensations is a movie that needs to happen. Um, the one thing I have been thinking about is um, whether we would be able to follow up Sensations with any sequels or prequels. Um, so whether we could have like junior sensations where we get kids to play all of the minor roles and have it as like a little kiddie movie guy Guy fieri's got a young son oh there we go yeah um and it's all about sort of like the 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 growth of the love of eating competitions in the youth and stuff like that or maybe sort of like saving eating competitions from the dangers of people being too busy playing like virtual hot dog eater on their playstation vr and like we've got a we could do like a la la land with it where it's like instead of we've got to save jazz from the babies it'll be we've we've got to save hot dog eating from the goddamn video game corporations because <laughs> they just want to push a hot dog you can vape yeah exactly they, they're pushing the vape dogs you see um and so, like, yeah, you could have, you could almost do it kind of like La La Land, where um, you've got Adam Richmond and Guy Fieri dancing, looking over the, the the views of LA, both wearing jazz shoes. Yep. Trying to find their Prius or trying to find their hot dog shaped car. <laughs> jazz shoes and a hot dog shaped car and frosted tips. It's all you need, really. But yeah, I was thinking that a musical adaptation would be good. Yeah, I think it could work quite well. Is we have the the original version of it, which um, really with smashed biscuits, with obviously. smashed biscuits, of course, yeah. And then after that, we can sort of push it out, and we could almost do we could almost do what they did with the producers. So we have the original movie, smash hit with smashed biscuits. Then we have the stage show of sensations, and then off the back of the stage show, we then adapt the stage show into another movie down the line. Yep. Perfect. So it all it all comes full circle, like a burger. Yeah, much like a burger. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was the first circular Guy Fieri food that I could think of. <laughs> it was either that or a donut, and I think burgers. More. Yeah. Sometimes you can get like a burger donut, or like a burger, and they use donut Krispy Kreme donuts as the bun. I've never tried it, but I've seen pictures. Yeah, I've seen that as well. It's one of those things where I don't know whether I could ever try it, but I kind of want to. I'd try it if it was in front of me, but I feel like it'd be too humiliating to go out of your way to try and make it happen yourself. Like if you're in a restaurant and it's on the menu, you'd be like, okay, fine. Yeah. But yeah, I'm not going to go to like to Tesco tomorrow, buy a burger and two donuts. <laughs> no, no, I don't think I could do that. Um, it would That would be a step too far. Cool. Well, on that note, keep an eye out for Junior Sensations. Yes, yeah, Junior Sensations coming soon. I think the only other thing I wanted to mention was the <laughs> tweet that I found on Twitter today, just um, apropos of nothing, not retweeted by anyone who'd seen the podcast or anything, that um, shows that Terry Crews, who we are a big fan of and we've talked about on this podcast quite a lot, and who is um, an integral member of the cast of Sensations, that he was a fine art major at university. And some of his pictures of him holding up his art and looking really happy. And it just yeah, it brought a, a tear of joy to my eye. So go on our Twitter account and find that because we retweeted it and it is brilliant. And hire Terry Crews to do some art for you. Yeah, no, that was that was great. That was, it was brilliant. So other than that, 
I think we've had a good chat about La La Land. We can, yeah, we can probably leave it there. But um, thanks a lot for tuning in. Um, as always, it's good that we've managed to get to six episodes. It feels really nice. Thanks to everyone who's been who's been listening, who's been tweeting, who's been emailing us. If you have any any kind of feedback at all, anything you want to share, um, email us at bigboysdon'tcrypodcast at gmail or tweet us at bigboysdon'tpod. Um, we've still not got to a hundred followers, so when we do, although by the time this goes out, maybe we will have done. But when we do the 100th follower will get a Guy Fieri related gift I still don't know what it is but we'll cross that bridge when we come to it we'll build that bridge out of hot dogs hot dogs and burgers the burger bridge (laughs) alright we will see you next time we'll talk about easy A alrighty bye bye bye